this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 2. I've asked this the last couple weeks, and I'm going to try to keep asking this uh, to be a little bit consistent and also to encourage you. How many of you read 1 Peter chapter 2 this week? Okay, we're getting a few more hits. Great. Um, how did that encourage you? Shout back some things, except for Gina. Gina, Gina lost her voice this week, so I get to pick on her. So, nobody? No takers? Was it encouraging, Gina? She's giving me two thumbs up, okay? So, it, it, it's interesting. Even this morning, as we're singing it as well, I couldn't help but think of this passage, and the Lord reminded me another, of another passage of Scripture that I'm going to give you towards the end of the message today. Uh, hopefully I'll remember to do that because it just popped up as we're, I'm behind stage um, or behind the curtain getting ready to come out on stage. Um, so we're looking at seeing suffering for what it is. And uh, I started thinking about some things in my own life. I had a conversation with somebody this last week that reminded me of, of an incident that happened in our family life this year. Um, and, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but we had a, a circumstance uh, happened in the life of one of our family members that was really negative for a, a, almost a, a week. And in that, the situation led to a uh, misunderstanding, and um, the misunderstanding led to a lot of wrong conclusions that ultimately led to uh, our family, in a sense, being slandered. And we opted just to kind of let things settle and sit out uh, of, of all the circumstances. I'm not, I know I'm being vague, but I want you to know that in the midst of those things, we, we were really frustrated. And especially when the accusations started flying um, in, in regards, it was actually towards Juliana. Um, and we were like, this does not make sense. Have you guys ever experienced something like that where you feel like false accusations, slander, you get frustrated? You know, and, and me, if you know anything about me, I'm highly competitive and I'm a fighter. I know that doesn't, you know, I'm not talking about physically fighting, but I will, you know, I, I get a real sense of righteous indignation uh, because it's just how God's wired me, I guess. And then especially the more I study scripture, the more I feel like I know what's right. Why don't people do what's right? Y'all ever get there? Okay. And, and so we had to figure out how we walk through these things as a family. And it's, it's interesting to me because the Lord doesn't tell us that it's always going to be easy. Now, I, and I'm going to, this is still kind of introductory remarks, but I, I want you to hear what's happening in our culture. See, there's actual, actually a cultural conflict that's going on. You may not be aware of this, but especially if you walk in Christian circles, this tends to be really a, a predominant thing that we're struggling with in, in our circles today. And that is this. There is this thing called the prosperity gospel out there. And this prosperity gospel teaches false truth. And these false truths are things like these, okay? That the Abrahamic covenant is a means to material entitlement. Now, you may go, why is Matt talking about this? Well, let, me, let me back up here for a second. These, this list of five things actually comes from the Gospel Coalition website. It's a great resource. Uh, I don't totally believe everything on there, but I think it's a very, very sound quality resource. And somebody, someone put an article out there on the Gospel Coalition about these five markers, and I thought, these are great. So the Abrahamic Covenant 
If you go back and read Genesis, uh, especially 12, 15, 17, 22, I think those are the right chapters. Those deal specifically with the covenant that God made with Abraham. One of the covenants that he would, uh, aspects of the covenant is that he would have an offspring that would bless many nations. We know from Galatians 3 that that offspring is Jesus, okay, Jesus Christ. And there's also this promise in this made to Abraham that he would inherit land. Now, Abraham and his uh, people did inherit the land. What land is that? Israel, right? Now, there's a future promise of land for us as believers, which is what? The promise of heaven, okay? So those things kind of relate. But these people that take the prosperity gospel mentality, they believe because Abraham experienced a covenant blessing of land, we too ought to be prosperous, and we ought to have all these kind of things to celebrate, that God has promised us wealth, okay? And the second point is that they believe that Jesus' atonement extends to the sin of material poverty, meaning once you're a believer, you should never experience poverty again. That's crazy. There's no guarantee that you're going to be wealthy, okay? There's also this belief that Christians give in order to gain material compensation from God. You can't outgive God. Well, that's true, right? But the the point is not that we would expect God to give us material things. There is no guarantee of that. He never promises that. As a matter of fact, I think if we look for those blessings here on this earth, then the likelihood is we won't receive them in heaven because we've accepted those things here. That's what the scriptures actually teach. So uh, the next one, faith is a self-generated spiritual force that leads to prosperity. Think about that one just for a second. And, and this is what you'll hear them say about uh, your, your faith. If you had more faith in God, he would give you what you want. That's a popular statement about, about, uh, from these prosperity gospel teachers. That if you just have more faith, you'll get what you want. And then that comes into this last one. Prayer is a tool to force God to grant you prosperity. That, that if you'll just ask God, he'll give you. Have y'all been hearing this stuff? Okay, good. Let me name some names. Okay, so if you're from my generation, oh man, this is like old, okay, because uh, I'm going to be 49 here at the end of the month. So I remember some of these guys. I remember especially, how many of y'all remember Robert Tilton? I was a young guy, fortunately, when Robert Tilton was shown, but he had you put your hand on the TV screen, and he'd be praying for you, and, and he would have you send in these gifts, and he'd take these prayer letters and crumple them up and talk about these things. Okay, Robert Tilton is one of these guys that, that gained a lot of wealth because people would send in their monies, or send their money into him, and he was, uh, fought, or he was accused and put in jail after, after a while because he um, had tax evasion and some other stuff. So he's one. You also had Kenneth Copeland, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who you probably saw on um, the, what is the, what is the show? Oh, I can't remember now. Um, Pat Robertson is one. Now, today, there's a whole new list. Creflo Dollar, has anybody heard him? Okay. Uh, T.D. Jakes is one. Guillermo Maldonado, and, and I wasn't familiar with him. He's actually a guy down in Miami uh, who actually has this universal, University of Spiritual Manifestation, I think is the name of the university. It, it's really unusual. You can get out there and just Google his name. Um, again, it's Guillermo Maldonado. But this university teaches you how to have... Uh, charismatic Pentecostal experiences so you can go and minister rightly, 
That's, that's the focus. And it's like a university where you pay for credit hours, and then once you've gone through the university, you're equipped to, to minister. It, I was blown away by some of the teaching um, that they were in, influencing. Uh, I know you've heard this name, Joel Osteen and Paula White. Um, if you're not familiar with them, um, I would encourage you to just kind of look them up. Now, here's why I'm naming names, okay? Because I, I know sometimes you go, why? That's really controversial. If you're reading their books or seeing their books and they're uh, on the shelf and you're uh, hearing, hey, these are uh, great books, you ought to go read these things, I want to encourage you, be warned, they're not teaching healthy doctrine, okay? You, you need to really either read it for the sake of knowing what they're teaching so you can refute it with friends or just stay away from it because it's really dangerous teaching and it's not accurate to what Scripture teaches. The Scriptures teach us that we are going to struggle, not that we're going to guarantee this prosperity or especially wealth because of who we are in Christ. And you, you may say, really, that, that's a bummer. Maybe. I, I mean, honestly, maybe. Because I, I, when I think we read Scripture rightly and we understand what God's doing and we get our heads wrapped around this rightly, the struggles, like maybe what I, my family experienced with the little bit of conflict in the slander for tr trying to do what was right, is no big deal. Because it's actually shaping godly character in us when we handle it rightly. And that's what God continues to try to do with us. Y'all get that? So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and examine what the scriptures teach about this, okay? So we're going to be starting in verse 12, uh, actually verse 15, I think is where I've got us, or 18, 18, okay? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a great passage of scripture. Now, I, I'm, I'm aware that this is in context to servants, largely, but I think as Peter begins to expand his thoughts, it moves out of the realm of simple servanthood in, in relationship to a master, to us broadly as believers, okay? Now, let's look at some of these things. First of all, and I think this is the, the major thing that we need to, to catch out of this. If you look back to verse... Um, 19, it says, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows for suffering unjustly. Um, and then verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow it in his footsteps. We have actually been called to endure suffering. Let that sink in for just a second. When we are called to faith. We are not called to say, oh, hey, everything is just going to be easy street. 
we will experience suffering. Now, here's what Peter, I want you to catch this. He doesn't say that suffering should be avoided. He doesn't say that suffering will diminish. He doesn't say that we should retaliate for suffering or that we should pray for an escape from it or pray for escape from it. He says that we've been called to what? Endure it. We've been called to endure it. Now, I'll be honest. That doesn't mean when you have something happen to you, you start going, hey, I'm suffering. I'm, this is so great. Okay, I don't think that's what the Lord means or what Peter's calling us to do. But I do think that there's this point where we go, you know what? I'm experiencing suffering, and God is going to be doing something in the midst of this. So guess what I can do? Rejoice. Rejoice. And, and I think that the big thing is, and I, and I want you to really grasp this thought, because I think this is so important. And if you look at back at verse 21, let me make sure I get this right. Actually, it's in, in verse 19. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. That's the key. Mindful of God. Okay? What does that mean? It, it simply means this, that we're conscious of God. Now, I, I think most of the time when we experience some kind of suffering, where do we end up going? We look at the circumstances. And I've talked about that often. Okay? That's my first uh, irresponsible reaction. I go, why are the difficulties? God, surely, instead of going, wait a second, God is still in the midst of this. What am I doing to find him in the midst of this? This is the, the passage of scripture. Turn, turn over to Isaiah 43, and this won't be on the screen because I didn't give this to, to Caitlin back there. By the way, you started recording on this? Thanks. Um, for, to let you know on the inside joke, a couple weeks ago, Caitlin came to me afterwards. I'm so sorry. I started it 14 minutes late. I was like, no worries. I think that's what you said. I didn't make that up. Did I? Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I thought, I, I thought you said they were 14 minutes late. Maybe it was four. What's that? She's, she, yeah, you're just, this is a great illustration of, of unjust suffering. Public humiliation. Okay. Couldn't have done it any better. Thanks, Sherilyn, for pointing that out. <laughs> I'm sorry, Caitlin. I'm not trying to put you under undue uh, uh, suffering. So Isaiah 43, this is, this is a great passage to help us remember how the Lord walks with us through suffering, to be mindful, conscious of his presence with us. Listen to this. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. So the first, first thing I want you to remember is when we suffer, we have a redeemer who understands and he's calling us to higher calling. And that's what suffering produces. It produces this point of, hey, we've re been redeemed and now we're being transformed. Okay, so this redeemer is with us. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Now listen to verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Do you get that picture? Can I give you a picture real quick? This pops in my brain. I remember when I was 15 turning 16, I was on a, a trip all over the country uh, um, that summer. 
And one of the things that happened is we were canoeing in a river out in California, and one of the canoes got turned against a rock. The guys in the canoe, instead of leaning downstream to get off the rock, they actually leaned upstream, which means the water began to fill into that canoe. And that canoe was a plastic canoe. It wrapped around the rock. And I just remember trying, there were, I think, 14 of us, a couple of adults, and then these 12 guys, and we had ropes, and we were trying to pull that canoe off the rock, because we can't, we're like, we can't just leave it in the middle of the river. I mean, that's, that's not good. And, and so we were trying to pull this off the rock. It was all the 14 of us could do to get it. It took us almost 30 minutes to get it off that rock by just slowly getting the water turned to, to relieve and when I think about the water of a river and the pressure that comes against you when you're in the midst of those kind of things, that thought comes to my mind because those things can so quickly overwhelm you. Does that make sense? And, and so when we're in the midst of those kind of pressures where we feel like we're going to be swept away or, or held against the, the, the rock like that, what is the promise of the Lord? That He is with us. You, and He says you shall not be overwhelmed. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. And then what does he say? Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's who we have on our side. So when in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles, this is the Redeemer, the Savior that walks with us that frees us from the turbulence, and not in the sense of just diminishing or getting rid of it, but frees us from the pressure that we have to endure by ourselves because His presence is with us. So we don't have to be overwhelmed by the circumstances. We need to be mindful of this great and mighty Savior. We need to run to Him in the midst of those things. We need to think of Him. We need to recognize what He's doing in the midst of those things. So, and, and that's what I think this, this uh, point is. If you look at this back at 1 Peter, and this, this is so, like, I think shocking to me in one sense. But look at verse 19. For suffering is a gracious thing. What do we look at suffering like? A curse, don't we? We think that suffering is this huge negative thing in our life. But what does Peter identify it as? It's a gracious thing when we are mindful of God. You get that? It, it totally turns all that health and wealth, prosperity gospel on its head because suffering is a gracious thing. God, when we are suffering, is being gracious to us. Now, Peter goes on to qualify these things, okay? See, because he, he actually says this, when we suffer for sin, do we deserve it? The answer is yeah. If we're sinning, sinning we've reaped what we sow, right? That biblical con, uh, concept of Galatians. If we've sown sin, will we reap the consequences of sin? And sometimes that is discipline. And we probably deserve to suffer for those consequences of sin. So no big deal. But when we do things right and we still suffer for it, that doesn't seem fair. But but God says here, it's a gracious thing. So, so let me help you with this and let this sink in. When you do right, it's likely that you're going to suffer as a Christian. When you do right, it's likely that you're going to be criticized when you're a Christian. When you do right, 
things won't necessarily get better. Because the Lord might have you suffer for gracious things to be done in your life. When you do right, someone may say a hurtful thing. When you do right, people may not even notice. And they may not say thanks or way to go. Because people of the world do not understand this concept of suffering is a gracious thing of the Lord to produce something in us. That's not popular teaching, folks, but that's biblical teaching. So where, what do we need to do? I think we need to ask this question. How do we then endure suffering? Well, the first part, I think, has been already explained, is that we continue to be mindful of Christ. Okay? But what does that really look like in a different sense, other than just thinking the thoughts of Scripture? Well, let me give you this. The first thought is this, and I think this is where Peter goes. He says, um, in verse 22, he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He's referring to Christ, who suffered for us. Okay, in verse, let's, actually, let's go back and read 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued, uh, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and over overseer of your souls. Here's the thing. When you have experienced some kind of suffering, the way to identify this rightly is to trust Christ's work. What did Christ provide for us? Did you catch that? He healed us. Now, does that mean physical healing? No. Does that necessarily mean emotional healing? Not necessarily. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that a little bit because my background now and what I'm doing with youth mental health first aid training, um, trying to help people look at youth that might have mental health issues, how do we get them the help they need? Because the truth is, not everyone recovers. And there's medical issues and all those things. I believe this, there's ultimate healing. When we get to heaven, and Sherilyn is a counselor, I know this is something I've been wrestling with. I'm sure you deal with the same thing. How do we get people the right healing? But I know this, the healing is for sin and the soul sickness that sin brings. And that is guaranteed. And that soul healing can ultimately lead to the other aspects of healing, physical and emotional and mental. It may not happen on this earth. That's a stinky thing, but that's the result of the fall. Christ is still in the business of redeeming us. And it just ultimately may happen in future ahead. And it's hard to wrestle with all those things. But I encourage you to do this. Walk those things out in community together. Because Christ heals the soul. What else does it mean? I think this. That we also get the example of Christ. Now, so first of all, it's through the work of Christ, what he does on our behalf. And it is through the example of Christ. Now, what does that mean? How do we endure suffering? Well, if Christ is healing us, that means we ought to stick in there and endure. And then as Christ has given us an example, we ought to follow the example. 
So we ought to live like Christ. And I'm going to confess to you, this is what it means. When somebody wrongs your family member, you don't have to go seek justice. You don't have to seek vindication. As a matter of fact, Romans 12, 18 says this, if it possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So, Matt, you don't go seek vengeance when somebody's wronged you. You don't have to go try to make your uh, arguments and your stance valid. Just live peaceably. Allow the Lord to be your defender. Because he says vindication is his, right? And he's far better at that. I don't have to worry about it. I will just choose to live peaceably. Here's what James 3.18 says. There's a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when I'm suffering, what ought, I, what ought I do? Follow Christ's example and harvest a righteousness that sows peace. So, so being like Jesus means this, that I recognize that God is continually at work in me, and that suffering is a gracious act on His part to make me more dependent on Him in prayer more dependent on Him to go to the Word and seek out godly counsel, to do what the Word says so that I honor and reflect Jesus all the time. Because if I do that, then I can sow a harvest of righteousness that will bring peace. And even if that's not peace in the circumstances, but it may just be personal inward peace because I know that I've done my best to honor the Lord, that could be enough. That's hard. Because all of us at some point in our lives like to be people pleasers, don't we? But the truth is, I can't please everybody. So who do I need to try to please? Oh, Lord. I know that sounds like a pat answer, but it's anything but that. Because that may be the hardest thing to, to pursue. Because again, what is the world saying? Just vindicate yourself. Please yourself. Live for your prosperity. Don't worry about what anybody else says, especially the Lord. It's about you. Ask God for what you want. That's what the world's saying. The truth is God may have you in a season of struggle to make you more like Christ. And that's tough. That's tough. So I want to encourage you this morning that you as believers can work through these moments of suffering if you will be mindful of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this in conclusion, and I'm going to have Russ come out. He wants to share some things with us this morning. If you're enduring suffering right now, and it's not because of sin, have you identified the person of Jesus and how he's trying to shape righteousness or holiness in you? That's a, that sounds like an easy question to answer, but I think it's actually really, really difficult. Because if we're going to get honest, it means we're okay with the suffering. Does that make sense? Because when we say, hey, I'm going to surrender to Jesus, I'm accepting this, the willingness to suffer instead of trying to escape and manipulate. Now, maybe you're suffering because of some sin that you've committed. Can I encourage you with this? You'll continue to face the consequences, okay? You need to repent of that sin. And especially in this sense, and I want to say this to the students this morning, because I think this is where peer pressure, Juliana, P-E-E-R, 
That's, we, we got to ride home the other night. Can I tell on you? Okay, this is funny. She, she's, huh? It's the alien brain. Middle schoolers have aliens that have abducted their brains, is what we've, we found out. So Juliana says, I'm blaming it on the alien. She saw uh, the, the great southern accent. She thought that peer pressure was actually peer pressure, P-U-R-E. And she went, oh, it's not peer pressure. It's peer pressure. There's a different idea there. When you guys are experiencing peer pressure, young, young folks, let me encourage you with this. Don't think that God is calling you to sin. To accomplish something. Does that make sense? He will never ask you to sin to, to accomplish some means to an end. He wants you to live purely and righteously, even if it means suffering. He would rather have you suffer and struggle and make the right decision than to choose sin to get an outcome that you desire. Does that make sense? That's big time counsel. And adults, just because I'm addressing the teens with that, don't think that you're immune to that. Because in business, you can be, have peer pressure to, to make the wrong kind of decisions in your business and short cut, uh, take shortcuts to make an extra dime. You can do that in relationships with people and criticize or cut someone down or gossip, trying to build yourself up. We as adults will have those same kind of peer pressure moments to choose sin to accomplish something that we believe is right because the truth is we don't think that suffering produces good results. That's a huge, huge thing. So I want to encourage us all. If we can learn that suffering is a good thing that God uses to rightly shape us for holiness, to make us into the character of Christ, we would be well benefited. It's not a real positive message, is it? Actually, it is actually is. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. So, let me have a word of prayer. And I want to ask you to do this in closing for my time this morning. Will you just be transparent with the Lord? He already knows. But I think sometimes He wants us to come before Him and just share openly. To say, yeah, Lord, I've, I've been dealing with this. I've been trying to escape suffering. Or I've chosen the wrong path to try to escape suffering and to minimize that because I didn't want to endure that to have your character shaped in me. However he is speaking to you this morning, will you just respond rightly to him, surrendering yourself to him and allowing him to speak to your heart and mind so that you will rightly be made into the image of Christ. So I'm going to be quiet and just ask you to do business with the Lord. So bow your head and just speak to him right now.